and welcome henchmen back to another action-packed episode of the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu brought to you by the Villains Man where myself JV attempts to traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artist in Iron Fist and Shang-Chi. If you want to check out the podcast you can do so over on Twitter and Instagram at Deadly Kung Fu Pod or you can hang out with me JVD on Twitter at JVDTVD. Now today we are jumping back into Master of Kung Fu with issues 59 and 60, both titled The Phoenix Gambit, featuring the greatest villain in all of comic book history, the one and only Lord of Latveria, Dr. Doom, which I was very, very excited to read because I love Dr. Doom. I think if you read comics, um, you just, in general, love Dr. Doom. He's such a great villain. And I'm not saying, I do say he's the best villain, but... I mean, sometimes he's a hero, sometimes he's a villain. It's hard to say he's actually the best villain, but he is literally in top three major villains in comic book history. He's done so much for the uh, the world of Marvel. I mean, everybody's fought him, especially back in the Silver and Bronze Age. I mean, I have his first appearance of the, the Doombot, which was apparently his very first appearance um, outside of Fantastic Four. So, I mean, he's done everything. He's fought... Uh, Luke Cage, he's fought Doctor Strange, he's fought Iron Man, he's fought the Avengers, I mean, the X-Men. He's literally fought everybody in Marvel. So, um, when I first put this podcast together and I was trying to organize episodes, yes, I have episodes organized all the way up to 2021 when I started this. And I seen that, oh wow, Shang-Chi gets to uh, meet Doctor Doom, I was pretty excited about it. So, but the first issue at hand... Master of Kung Fu number 59 was released on September 13th, 1977, along with eight other t- titles from Marvel. Amazing Spider-Man 175, Captain America 216, Doctor Strange Volume 2 number 26, Eternals 18, Ghost Rider 27, Miss Marvel number 12, Star Wars 6 and 4 266. Issue 60 was released two months later, on October 11th, 1977, along with 13 other titles from Marvel. The Complete Fantastic Four number 3, Rampaging Hulk 6, Savage Sword of Conan 25, Amazing Spider-Man 176, Captain America 217, Dynamo number 2, Eternals 19, Marvel Trip in Action 39, Marvel's Greatest Comic 75, Miss Marvel 13, Red Sonja number 7, Star Wars number 7, and Thor 262. Man, and, uh, you know, as I'm looking through these, um, it kind of strikes me odd that Star Wars... And Thor, especially Star Wars, considering how huge it was at the time in the box office, releases every two months. And uh, that just kind of really blows my mind that it's like that. I I just don't get which. Then again, I guess if I'm looking at Amazing Spider-Man, it releases every two months as well. So, what do I know? But anyways, moving on to the very first Issue at hand, issue 59, titled The Temples of Time. Your writers are Doug Minch, pencilers are Mike Zek, inks go to John Artagaloni, colorist is Janice Cohen, letters go to Irv Watanabe, and your editor, as always, is Archie Goodwin. The cover is done by Gil Kane, Frank Giacoa, and Danny Krepsby. Um, this issue is kind of strange because. This cover is kind of strange because we're seeing this man who looks like he's just made of pink clay and he's on fire. He's got this sinister grin. He kind of looks like a demon 
and we've not seen anything like this in the series and as the flames are erupting around him we see Shang-Chi kind of leaping away with slippers usually Shang-Chi is barefooted he's got those uh, iron fist slippers so I'm guessing that's kind of crossover between the two characters in the background we see uh, Sir Dennis Nail Smith and Black Jack Tar in horror kind of backing away from this creature we don't know what it is so it's enough to make you intrigued if you've seen this on the shelves and want to buy it. But let's go ahead and get to the issue at hand. Shang-Chi walks an African plain, baffled by the snowstorms that blanket as far as he can see. Among the slowly dying animals is a mysterious African woman dressed in thick furs. Asking her what has happened, she gives him a cryptic answer regarding the circle of life and death. With all of Africa lost, she points Shang-Chi to a cluster of futuristic Egyptian pyramids that she claims have been revealed since the melting of both the North and South Poles. He questions where they came from, but the mysterious woman pays him no attention as she walks among the dying animals. On top of one of the pyramids, Shang-Chi finds an opening and climbs down. Within, he finds the strangest of sights, an underground cavern that connects to the other pyramids. Within it, an African tribe runs a myriad of futuristic consoles and machines. Asking one of the men what is going on, he receives another cryptic answer. They are reconstituting a gateway to bring back someone of great importance to them, the Advent. As the tribe gathers around a dais in worship, the body of Razor Fist materializes. The assassin greets Shang-Chi with a promise of sweet death and swings a bladed hand at his head. Shang-Chi comes to, finding himself in the middle of a crowded, busy street in London. A police officer and Liko are crouched beside him, as a driver of a car that hit him pleads his case. Sweating profusely, the last thing Shang-Chi can recall was standing there and Reston placing a hand on his shoulder, causing nothing but pain with his touch. Liko looks around, confuses where their ally could have possibly ran off to so quickly. Within the crowd, a doctor yells for them to let him through. As he forces his way through the crowd, it's Razor Fist who wastes no time attacking Shang-Chi. At first, our hero thinks it's still a dream until he's thrown through a window and feels the broken glass on his skin. As the assassin leaps in after Shang-Chi, he is knocked unconscious by a quick kick to the face. Interlude. At an undisclosed castle, someone states, your move. Back at Liko's home, Shang-Chi lays on her couch as she places a cold washcloth on his head to help with his fever. She claims he is sick and needs rest, but our hero thinks doing such is impossible when all of London is covered in snow and ice. Alongside Smith and Tar, Shang-Chi walks with them in the ruins of a frozen London. The two friends discuss the Egyptian pyramids becoming frozen as the glaciers move from both the poles towards the equator. This angers Shang-Chi, blaming Smith for what has happened, blaming him for killing his father Fu Manchu, and taking away his home, then were trying to place both of them with himself in London. The head of MI6 ignores our hero, blaming his outburst on the cold, and says that he needs to investigate the North Pole. As they arrive on the North Pole by foot, high atop a mountain peak, a red light pulses. With every step they near, the pyramid melts to reveal one of the futuristic Egyptian pyramids. Inside, they find an anti-gravity chamber that takes them further into the structure. In the bowels, the trail discovers an Odysseus that has captured the night sky and stars, leading Smith to the conclusion that it must be a window to the universe. Against Shang-Chi's pleads, Curiosity gets the better of the MI6 leader as he engages the attached switch. As a figure materializes, the feeling of bliss and peace wash over the trio. 
Shang-Chi's feelings towards Smith change as he realizes the man is almost like a father to him. With the figure's form solidified, the Advent steps towards them, stating he has returned the Earth to its original state and will usher in the third age of new life. He claims he is their salvation and will transform all negative emotions with love, leading Shang-Chi, Smith, and Tar to all hug one another. The Advent beckons the trio towards him as his body glitters with light. They all four embrace as the light leaves the Advent's body, leaving his face a burning skeleton as it sets the trio on fire. As they scream in agony, the Advent laughs wickedly at their pain. Shang-Chi wakes up screaming back in Liko's home. Still sweating, he searches room by room for her, but instead finds Pavane. The assassin chases him through the home, cracking and striking Shang-Chi with her whip. Finally, he catches the weapon, yanking Pavane to him and kicking her in the head. To his surprise, it bounces to Liko's bed, revealing the assassin to be a robot. Interlude Looking into the window of a castle tower, we see two silhouettes discussing the gambits. Liko comes home and reveals to Shang-Chi that Razor Fist was a robot as she sees Pavane as one as well. Hearing someone else within the house, he pulls her to the side just in time as Mordillo's robot assassin fires through the window as it breaks into the house. Fears that he cannot tell reality from a dream, he quickly dismantles the machine. As Liko tries to make sense of their enemies in the past being robots, Shang-Chi points out all this began with Reston as he now recalls that his ally poisoned him on the street. Interlude. A robotic can moves a game piece that looks like Reston. On cue, Mordillo's robot pulls off its faceplate to reveal Clive underneath, claiming he was poisoned earlier in the day and it must now be wearing off. He thinks it forced him to do the same thing to Shang-Chi on the streets. As Liko questions who could do such a thing, Reston admits to having a suspicion that it was an infamous madman in the Bavarian Alps. In Latveria, we see Doctor Doom questioning his next move against a futuristic robot in a game of chess where all the pieces are Shang-Chi, his allies, and his enemies. Moving on to issue number 60, titled Endgame. Your writer is Doug Minch. Your penciler is Mike Zek. Inks go to John Artagaloni. Colorist is Sam Cato. Letters is Karen Kish. And the editor, as always, is Archie Goodwin. This cover gives you everything you need to know. It's done by Honor Chan, and it's Shang-Chi battling Razor Fist and Pavane, much like we've seen in the last issue. And they're on a chessboard in the background, and like a blue silhouette is all of his other enemies, like Shadow Striker and Shaka Karn. And then in the background, we have Doom looking menacing over the board. So that's enough right there. should just get you hyped if you've seen this issue. It's Doctor Doom. But let's talk about the issue. As Reston flies their plane to Latveria, Shang-Chi attempts to sleep off the effects of the drug. He dreams about walking the frozen wastelands of China with his father. Fu Manchu explains to his son that this is a time of rebirth for China, for it to return to the country of old. As they continue the walk, an egg hatches behind them and quickly evolves into a dragon, matching their pace as they go. Fu Manchu then tells Shang-Chi as China is reborn, he shall inherit new sons as his old one is slayed. With those words, the dragon breathes fire to burn our hero alive. Waking up as the plane descends, Shang-Chi and Reston land outside the castle Dr. Doom is staying in. As they walk through the rocky hills, Shaka Khan confronts them. The ancient warrior quickly slays Clive before facing his brother. He proves no match for Shang-Chi, who quickly takes him out to reveal his enemy is nothing more than a robot itself. 
checking on his injured friend, Reston is cut open to reveal he is nothing but a machine as well. Fighting through the pain of being drugged, Shang-Chi arrives at the drawbridge of the castle only to be attacked by a knight on horseback. Shoving the lance into the dirt, he launches the rider off its mount to go crashing into the ground. As the armor falls away, it's none other than Shockwave underneath. Seeing how the villain lived, he's unsure if Sir Dennis Nayland Smith's nephew is real or robot. Taking no chances, Shang-Chi takes him out, only to reveal a machine is underneath the suit. Entering the castle, our hero finds himself surrounded by real henchmen, but cares less about whether they are living beings. With anger boiling within him, Shang-Chi warns them all that he has lost his patience before they attack, leading to a brawl against the horde that goes all through the castle. Knocking the final henchman through a door, he finds Shadowstalker waiting for his arrival. Though claiming not to be a robot himself, Shang-Chi is consumed by his fear and easily defeats the former C-Fan leader. His victory is cheered by the laughter of Doctor Doom, as a stone wall slides to reveal chess match between him and some alien robot. Victor claims checkmate as he announces he has outwitted Shang-Chi to take a human life. This stokes the fury within our hero even hotter as Doom explains to Shang-Chi that he was nothing more than manipulated surrogate in place of Fu Manchu, who the Lord of Latveria always wanted to match wits against. He then unleashed the rest of his robot replicas from Shang-Chi's past the attack. They are easily defeated, and as the bladed arms of Razor Fist cut into Shadowstalker, he's revealed to be a robot, and that Victor Von Doom has cheated in the game of chess. Letting his rage overtake him, Shang-Chi attacks Doom with a flurry of offense, launching the Doctor into a control panel. The impact causes it to explode and dismantle what is revealed to be a Doombot. The electrical discharge overloads the alien robot connected to it, freeing the trapped Clive Reston inside. Drugged out of his mind, he attacks Shang-Chi in a murderous rampage. Not wanting to kill his ally, Shang-Chi pulls them out of the castle tower window with hopes of falling into the moat below. To his surprise, the tower is actually a rocket ship that is starting to launch out of London. Landing in the River Thames, Reston still tries to kill Shang-Chi. As they breach the surface, our hero screams out about Liko, breaking Clive's mind control so he can be punched unconscious and pulled ashore. Some time later, both are laid in the hospital, discussing with Liko and Tar about exactly what was real and what was a dream. As the nurse enters the room with a get-well present to Shang-Chi, he is caught off guard that she looks exactly like the mysterious African woman from his dreams. Seeing the package is not signed from Who, he opens it to reveal a chess set with miniature pieces. Each one of them are those involved in the game between Doctor Doom and the alien robot. In the middle of the board, is one of the villain himself standing triumphantly over Shang-Chi as it plays a recording of Victor laughing triumphantly. Elsewhere, Dr. Doom and the alien robot, known as the Prime Mover, look upon a chessboard set up the exact same way. The machine argues over an unauthorized piece, but Victor claims Clive Reston was the genius gambit that gained him the victory over Shang-Chi. It's a pretty wild story. I'm not sure if I have a lot to say about it. This synopsis that I gave is probably going to be longer than the rest of the episode because uh, this book's a bit insane. But I'm going to go ahead and play you a podcasting promo from one of our friends. And when I get back, I'm going to dive into this bizarre two-part story in Master of Kung Fu. Hey, this is Ken M. And Padawan J. From the ODPH Podcast. Each week, we talk a parlay of topics. 
That's right. Whether it's sports, pro wrestling, movies, TV, comics, and more, we've got a take on it. And don't forget, odphpodcast.com for links for Patreon, Public, and the Parlay Points blogs, and much more. Thanks for listening to the ODPH Podcast. Now back to your regularly scheduled show. You know I don't know I was so and welcome back to the Deadly Podcast. Kung Fu brought to you by the Villains Man with myself, JVD. As I just covered the Phoenix Gambit and Master of Kung Fu, issue 59 and 60 of volume 1. As I said before the break, this book is insane. I don't understand why it's in the story at this point in the series. It feels like it's kind of a like, hey, we need something to fit here because we know after this we're covering this China Sea saga, which is roughly eight to nine issues. It's almost like we needed something to fill the time. Let's put a story in with Doctor Doom and let's bring in some stuff from the past. So, um, and, and that's the thing with this robot. We, we know it's called the Prime Mover and this is what it does. It's an AI that plays games of strategy. Um, and it first showed up in Strange Tales 166 by uh, Jim Steranko. And this robot was created by Victor. And they were manipulating S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and a robot replica of, of Golden Claw, back then called Yellow Claw, which was crazy racist. And I think I talked about him in one of the giant size master of kung fu either two or three uh, he had a story he's kind of like the villain for uh, jimmy woo when jimmy woo first shows up um and dr doom um he loses that game against robot so and i and i read this issue because you know me i've got to read this stuff uh, i've got a bad habit of it because i was really trying to understand like what was the point of these two issues and uh, that's what we find out for doom's amusement he creates an artificial ai to play chess against and they use his enemies and his enemies' enemies that aren't him as the uh, chess pieces. So, an interesting concept. Not sure if it's utilized correctly. And then, uh, right before this, the uh, Prime Mover shows up in Giant Size Defenders 3 by Steve Gerber, Jim Starlin, and Lynn Wayne. And uh, that book is a lot better than the first one or this book because... The robot, the Prime Mover, reprograms itself, and it sends out a call throughout the universe uh, for a challenge play game. The Grandmaster obviously answers because, you know, this is like 1974 or 75 when this book come out. And um, they play for the Earth. The robot wants the ability to enslave the Earth, and if the Grandmaster wins, he gets control of the Earth. If he loses, he has to give the Prime Mover the ability to enslave everybody. And they use the Defenders and Daredevil and some aliens from other planets as pods. Far better story than this one. Now because of that, I've come up with a lot of uh, points. I've struggled with that, like points of reference to talk about. And even to make this story interesting, or even for you the listener to be interested in what I've got to say. But um, there are some setups in this story uh, that have good callbacks that make the robots more effective if you don't know if they're real or not real. Um, Mordillo's robot assassin that Clive is dressed up in in issue 59. We know that's from issue 33. And in the uh, that Mordillo story in the finale, which is 35, Tar dresses up the robot as the robot as a distraction because Mordillo has Shang-Chi and Reston captive. Uh, and this is all over Liko. This is where Liko makes her debut at. And that gives credibility to Clive actually being dressed as a robot, even though 
it's a Clive robot dressed as the robot. So it kind of gives that credibility. So, um, which, you know, Doug Minch is writing this, so he should know exactly what's usable and what's not. And then, um, oddly enough, that issue is also the last time we see Pavane alive. And um, Liko even mentions that after her robot replica is defeated by Shang-Chi in her home. Um, and oddly enough that, that that she's a robot, it's got here recently, I've been uh, thinking that she might be Smith's new secretary after the Golden Dagger saga because we know Miss uh, Greville was shot and she's hospitalized. And we've seen that here in these past couple issues that uh, she's getting better. I don't remember the new secretary's name, but she's a blonde. Pavane is a blonde. They're both uh, drawn very attractive. And I'm thinking maybe, maybe that's Pavane because Shang-Chi and them would not know her because they've quit MI6. So it makes sense for her to actually infiltrate MI6 while everybody who knows her face is not there. So I'm kind of thinking maybe that's her. And that would explain where she's been because she was left alive. And they use villains that are left alive uh, effectively in this uh, in this book because uh, first we, we meet Shockwave. We know that he's alive after uh, his stuff right before the Golden Daggers and the Oriental Expeditors storyline that set that up. And uh, we see that he's quickly found as a robot. But we know that Shadow Striker is out there alive somewhere in the world. And they leave him alive as the twist for the end of this story to be revealed to be a robot. So Shang-Chi kind of leaves him alive. Uh, and so, like I said, struggling here to find things to talk about with this story. Because it makes no sense with what's going on in the Shang-Chi book. Everything is almost, for the most part, been pretty consecutive with the overall plot of leaving MI6, people being in the background. And then we just get this. Um... Now, the visions that he is having while he's got this fever dream from being drugged, uh, the only reason I can think that everything is covered in snow and ice and looks like a, a blizzard is nuclear winter. We know that um, Fu Manchu's plan at the end of the Golden Dagger Saga was to nuke the Earth, and, to, um, and most of the population would die except for pretty much China and some other spots, and he would rule the world. So that's the only thing I can think of. And we know that the end of the Golden Dagger saga, Shang-Chi, you know, accuses Sir Dennis Elian Smith as being no different than Fu Manchu. And that he was actually going to shoot nukes at China for fear of what Fu Manchu would do. So I'm assuming this rep what his all this snow represents nuclear winter. But what, the one thing I don't understand about this is um, this is written really well, like I said, uh, for the callbacks to make you think who's a robot and who's not. Which, like, you should know that Razor Fist is a robot because we know that he gets shot. I mean, I know it's comics, don't be wrong, but we know that he's dead. And he's the only one that we've known to be dead. And everybody else, we didn't know about if they were alive or robots as Shang-Chi was fighting them. The one thing I don't understand is we know that Shaka Khan is dead. They, even in the book, it shows the flashback where Shang-Chi decapitates him at the end of the Golden Dagger Saga. See, I'm referencing a lot of the Golden Dagger Saga. Um, and, and that's why I don't understand why we've got this just thrown in book all of a sudden, you know, because it's Doctor Doom. I don't know, maybe the hype up sells. I have no clue. But at first I was like, okay, how does Doom know about Shaka Khan? And then we find the ending that, oh, okay. He has Reston plugged up to be the prime mover, so he's obviously accessing his memories and whatnot. Makes a lot of sense about Shaka Khan gutting him 
in this book, much like he did back in issue 50. That makes total sense. Now, what I don't get about all that at first, and, and the more I've thought about this, it kind of unraveled, is Doom is playing, we, we know that Shang-Chi has this thing about passive. He does not want to kill, that's why he's broke away from Smith, because Smith is no much different of a killer than his father in every organization that he fights against. So why would Dr. Doom want to push him to kill somebody? Because, you know, to prove a point. But here's the thing. I was like, Dr. Doom should know that he killed people up on the space station at Golden Daggers because he was like, hey, I'm warning everybody. You know, you fight me, I'm killing you. And he did. He was killing people left and right. Clive Reston even talks about that. So I don't get why Dr. Doom would think that he needs to prove that fact even though he has Reston uh, capture, or I should say the Doombot. Let, let me not say Dr. Doom, but we know that Dr. Doom knows everything that a Doombot knows. So I don't understand the concept here, because he should know that based on having Reston uh, captured. I mean, clearly in 51, when uh, after they shoot Fu Manchu and his shuttle kind of breaks off, and they, they leave him out for space of dead. Like, Clive, if I recall, mentions like, oh my god, I've never seen, you know, Chi like this. And he's just butchering everybody, you know, he's, and he even done that before he fought uh, Shaka Khan the first time in that storyline. So I don't get that. That makes no sense to me. It kind of confuses me. And I don't know why that would be the point of this book. Um, I do like the mysterious uh, African woman being the doctor at the end because that still holds up a lot of mystery of what's real and what's not. Because uh, we know that Dr. Doom obviously had some type of, um, illusion going on with this castle tower in London which we learned that he owned because I guess it was part of the Liberian embassy there so that was pretty cool um, I do like that Shang-Chi has to yell about Liko to get Clive to snap out of it so he can punch her because that's the rivalry and I guess a lot of the delusion here that we're learning about is um, at one time he even calls uh, resting a good ally, like a close ally, even though we had this love triangle going on with him and Liko Wu, who just recently decided she wanted nothing to do with either one of them. So we, I, I like how that's brought up, and, and Victor Von Doom is using Clive as this master plan move to win this game. So um, maybe this is a, further on, because I don't read further on in these as I record them. I just read and then record, you know, and talk about the book. So maybe... Dr. Doom is trying to split everybody up and isolate Shang-Chi by himself because maybe he wants to destroy Shang-Chi. I don't know. But I've only seen him on that cover. I don't think that's the case. So, like I said, not really sure what the point of this whole book was. Like, even I tried to find a reference from uh, older stories for these futuristic-looking pyramids. I don't get it. The Advent, this god... That was summoned in this fever dream. Uh, I, I don't understand this. This peace and love thing. Um, and, unless it's kind of like. Um, a mockery of. What Shang-Chi really wants in his heart. With uh, peace and tranquility. And Buddhism. But you know. No matter what he does. It's always going to be depraved by war. And violence and death. Because that's why it turns to fire. And kills Shang-Chi. And Tar and Smith in his dreams. So, I don't know. I mean, like I said, this whole thing, besides the reference points in some of the books from the past villains, like, I could not find anything that would be a good reference point for the for the winner that's taken over everything in his dreams, this Advent thing that shows up. Um, yeah, 
real confusing, not really sure what to get into. But I'm, I'm about to start this big saga, and uh, Doug Minch writes a great saga. If we've learned anything from the Golden Dagger saga, the, um, shit, what's the saga? The Golden Dragon saga in uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. So I'm very curious to see how this is going to go. It looks like it's about eight, nine parts. So you can expect about four episodes out of the saga after we finish up the Iron Fist story at number 15 next week. So uh, I apologize if you found this boring. Like I said, I was very confused by this story. It's almost like it's a plug and play, like this Doctor Doom, the Prime Mover thing. That's kind of what it seems like. Like, hey, we need to fill in some gaps with some books. They did it with the Fenders. They did it here. I don't understand. That's the only thing I can think of. It's a plug-in story just in case they needed uh, some time to finish up a story, which I understand considering we got this giant China Sea saga showing up next. But that wraps up this episode for Deadly Podcast Kung Fu. Like I said, you can follow the pod over on Instagram and Twitter at Deadly Kung Fu Pod. If you like my music, check out Rushing Tiger by Kuro over on SoundCloud. But remember, guys, support your favorite podcasts, support your local comic book shops, and keep reading comics, guys. Oh! Yeah.